today's uh, passage, we deal with a bit of a tension. Uh, he raises a tension will feel in his life. If they're in front of your outline, if you follow them along, we experience a now but not yet tension. I'll read from verse 12 through to 14 if you follow them along. Not that I've already obtained all this or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal with a prize for which God has called me heavenward through Christ Jesus. Well, having spoken about uh, the hope of the resurrection from the dead, Paul's key to highlight the, the fact that he's not there yet, folks, and neither are we. For he says in verse 12, he's not yet been made perfect. That's right. Christian history, some Christians have taken the point of view that there is a possibility of uh, experiencing sinless perfectionism, uh, a state of perfection for people even in his age. And yet Paul teaches us here that perfection in people is something that is still to come. Perfection is still in front of us. In fact, uh, there are stories about a Baptist uh, Christian preacher. Uh, you hope he's a Christian if you're a Baptist, but yes, that's right. Uh, his name is Charles Spurgeon, and he, he's come across one of these people who believe in sinless perfectionism. Of course, he decided to pour a jug of milk over that person's head to see how perfect they really were. Anyway, I think he came back and realised that Paul's teaching was right. Perfection is still something in front of us, uh, not achievable at this age. And to make this idea clear, Paul uses some picture language uh, about race. He compares this age and the next age to the running race. This age is compared to being in a race right now. And Paul speaks of pressing on, straining on with all his nerve toward the goal to win the prize. That's this age, is the race. The next age is the end of the race where there is the prize for someone who completes it. The prize is bound up with heaven. What's called Paul heavenward in Christ. And so we see that there is a, an experience of uh, life with God that's both a fair and a fair situation. For on the one hand, we've seen in chapter 3, verse 1, we stopped spoke last week, uh, that those who live with Jesus as Lord and Saviour are the ones who become the righteous in the here and now in God's sight. In other language, people are justified now, or declared righteous in God's sight, uh, and that's a, a present reality. And yet on the other hand, as we can see in today's passage, uh, there's a not yet experience of the totality of salvation. And Paul, Paul brother, uh, looks forward to that time when Jesus returns. So what are we to make well, in the first place, we can still have assurance uh, that we're right with God, both in the here and here. That we stand forgiven in Christ, uh, and that that's a, a reality. So if we're people who are racked, we forgive. If we mull over the sins that we've carried out in life, and at times, uh, let's say, beat ourselves up over, over sins that we've committed, 
God knows our situation and He has been kind and we're given the assurance that our sins have been dealt with in Christ, if we trust Him, and we can have the assurance that we are completely forgiven and forgiven. Yeah, and that is a great promise. Yet secondly, we must still work with the, the challenge to remain eager as Christians, not to be stagnant, but to press forward uh, and to look at the salvation that is still coming. And Paul does that. He's a bold in that regard as he presses on to make the take hold of the future resurrection of life we know. Other translations say in verse 12, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul presses on as a Christian because Jesus has already taken hold of him. And Jesus has already taken hold of us as well if we are Jesus. Now Paul also encourages us to have this approach in life. We see that in uh, verses 15 and 16. He says, all of us who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. And we let us live up to what we've already attained. And he makes it clear that he wants us to have a forward-looking approach to salvation as he does, because he calls the church to follow him in his end. That's what we see in verse 17. Join with others in following my example, brothers, and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. Well, Paul was uh, mentioning in 1 Corinthians that he follows, uh, that we're to follow him as he follows Christ. He's planted a number of churches, he's preached the gospel, he's called people to uh, love the Lord and live in response to their salvation. And to follow his example. So the Philippians aren't the only people who are given this challenge to follow his pattern. In fact, he expects Christians to make progress in the Christian life, not just to stay where they are. Uh, we see that kind of thing when Paul speaks to Timothy in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 4. He says, Timothy, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. And there's some young people here today, so you've got to tune in as part of them. Don't let any, and, and, and you've you're young at heart. As well. Don't let anyone down on you because you're young, but set the example for the believers in speech, in life, in love, in faith, and in purity. Verse 15 says, Be diligent in these matters, give yourself wholly to them, so that everyone may see your progress. And so there is the idea here that we don't just stand still in the Christian life, but that we can actually grow in maturity, we can grow in character and we can actually make progress. There is a prospect of progress in the Christian life. Paul leads by example of that. He still maintains fire in his belly to serve the Lord wholeheartedly, and calls us to follow his example. He says, he forgets what is behind and strains on what is ahead. So may, may, may we be the kind of people uh, who do Think about our lives, like Timothy had to think about his, and consider our speech. Consider our life, love, faith, and our purity. It's good for us to uh, think about these things, because as sinful people, we keep on uh, wanting to do things our own way. We keep wanting to be as God of our own lives, that's the temptation. And it's good to reflect on the areas that we need to shape up in. Well, 
It is further encouraged not only to follow Paul's pattern, but also to follow those who do follow the pattern. And one of the good things about being a church where there's a few people, a few old people, and some of them are very wealthy, and they can stand the test of time in their service of the Lord. Uh, and it's good to observe how they hear it. This can be pressed a bit further too. Uh, Paul doesn't want us just to look at uh, the people who are doing well following the example. He wants us, each one of us, to be the very kind of people that others can look to to see the way of living as a mature Christian as well. He calls us to be those who follow in willingness as well. Uh, this is a story about a man called Dave. Uh, a guy called Rick was brought to Dave because he wanted to get a handle on Christianity. Dave said to Rick, why did you come to see me? Rick said, well, I come from what you people would call a liberal home. We don't believe the way you do, but it's a good home, a happy home. My parents love their children, discipline us, uh, set a good example and encouraged us to be courteous, honourable, and hardworking. And for the life of me, I can't see that you people who think of yourselves as Christians are any better. Apart from a whole lot of abstract theology, what have you got that I have? Says Rick. Well, Dave stared at Rick for a few seconds, and then he simply said, Watch. Well, that's not the end of the story. Rick said something like, Sorry, I don't understand. Dave answered, Watch him. Come and live with me for a month, if you like. Be my guest. Watch what I do when I get up. What I do when I'm on my own. How I work. How I use my time. How I talk with people. What my values are. Come with me wherever I go. And at the end of the month, you tell me if there is any difference. Well, Rick didn't take Dave up on his invitation, at least not in exactly the, the way that he invited him. But he did get to know Dave better, and in due course, Rick became Christian. That's a true story, isn't it? Um, well, I wonder whether you and I would feel comfortable saying the same kind of thing that uh, Dave said to Rick. Come, just watch me. Let's see this. Well, whatever the answer is to that question, uh, the challenge of God's word remains that we might be the kind of people that others follow in godliness and join with others who follow in the fact is that people do observe others, uh, how they live and what they do. We see this uh, concept expressed in sporting life, don't we? When somebody's behaving badly, usually in some football teams, uh, they uh, get charged with bringing the game into disrepute, leading young people astray. Uh, and Paul's uh, concerned that we follow good examples, positive examples. But he does give us a list of examples that we shouldn't follow, the so-called negative model, uh, the examples that we should not chase after. We see those who push a different barrow uh, from the worldview that we share uh, in 
actually we decided it's good. We share a different worldview that is stable, we may not see color. For ours, it's a worldview with hope. So like this, in verse 18 he says, Tomorrow, as I have often told before and now say again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. Their mind is on earthly things, but our citizenship is in heaven. So Paul's just challenged the church to think about who they're going to follow. Who they're going to be influenced by, who they will emulate, that's a big word, but the point is they're going to think about who they're going to model themselves after. And like a parent that doesn't let teenagers influenced by the bandidos, Paul reminds them that we cannot follow some people where they're going in life. As Christians, we have a different worldview than those listed on verse 19. Well, we're not enemies of the cross of Christ. On the contrary, we believe that uh, God's love and mercy come to us by means of the cross. Uh, Jesus' death and his resurrection, we're not enemies of the cross. We realise that that's God's mercy to us. Our destiny is not one of hopelessness and destruction because our God is not our stomach. Instead, we worship the living and the true God and we wait for his son, Jesus, who rescues us from the wrath to come. Our glory is not in our shame. Uh, instead, we're the kind of people who've turned away from their works. Uh, we're the sort of people who feel embarrassed when a dirty joke's being shared. And uh, we're the people who are saying, no, we've, we've done with all that sort of stuff. Uh, and we seek to live by God's spirit now and continue in life, not by boasting in sin and about the shame of things that happened, uh, but by repenting of sin. So we don't glory in our shame. Furthermore, our minds look beyond the horizon of this earthly life and the things on the earth. Uh, we have a living hope and we look to uh, heaven where our citizenship is. But it's clear that many people within our community think differently. Uh, when I asked some of the folk at the uh, Charles Sturt University, where I live, a little Bible study group, uh, whether they felt they stood out as Christians from the rest of the people in their courses. Well, the answer was unanimous. They spoke about how Christianity does make a difference to their lives. How others in the course think that God is very distant or far away, but that God doesn't even exist. And yet these things aren't surprising, are they? Because the Word of God tells us that people suppress the knowledge of God, they exchange the truth of God for a lie, and they wish to serve created things rather than the Creator, and we mustn't follow them in this example. They're not our roles. And the reason is that we belong to God. Which is what Paul reminds us in verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven. The fact is, things are going to change. Jesus is going to change everything in the world. He's going to change us as well. That's what we see in verse 20 following. Our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saving from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Therefore, my brothers, 
do him my love and multiple my joy and freedom, that is how you should speak to the Lord in friends. Now some have described the uh, church in terms that are analogous to Philippi as a Roman colony. At this point, I've those kids say this, they're very young at this stage. Well, let me explain. Philippi was originally a Greek city-state, but it was colonised by the Romans. When they needed to settle so many retired soldiers that they couldn't stuff them into Rome, they had to overflow them into other outposts, like Philippi. But when these uh, Romans colonised Philippi, they wanted to carry on like their as Roman citizens. The same laws, the same customs. In fact, they even uh, established some emperor worship there as well. They, they uh, offered uh, incense to Caesar as their lord and savior. But Paul reminds the Christians that they're not so much citizens of Rome. He's saying, "You're citizens of heaven." And in this way of thinking, uh, he wants them to realise that the church. Uh, is an outpost of life of heaven. Just as Philippi was an outpost of Rome. But we have something of this idea in the Lord's Prayer, where we pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And what we're praying in that prayer is that the rule of heaven, or the rule of God who is in heaven, is upheld here in earth, which is an outpost of heaven. And Paul reminds the church that they're not holding out for hope of Caesar to come and rescue them from their enemy. If their enemies were people like the, the barbarians, uh, the, the Roman soldiers were hoping that Caesar might come and help them and bring plenty of troops, uh, and they had their hope in Caesar. But Paul's saying, no, we've got our hope in someone much better than Caesar. He says, we eagerly await a saving from there. The Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so they'll be like his glorious The point is that Christians are waiting for someone uh, who is in control, who can help them, someone far greater than Caesar. And Jesus is the one who will bring uh, this resurrection made in, and our bodies will be like his, where they won't experience decay or death. So Paul reminds the church that they should stand firm, see that before verse 1, in the knowledge that Jesus will change everything, including us. So that's the wonderful part. So Paul's reminding us of the now but not yet experience of Christianity. On the one hand, we can have the assurance that we are forgiven, we, we do stand right with God even here and now. But yet on the other hand, we're looking forward to that complete experience of salvation at the end. Paul calls us to follow him as he follows Christ. And we're also to be the kind of people that others should be ready to follow. And we've got to, not only have got to be leaders, but the other people who might be leading us astray, who might have to follow Christ as well. And the reality is that we are citizens of heaven. And the challenge is to live out God's will on earth as an outpost of heaven, as we wait patiently for Lord Jesus, who comes to rescue us, transform us, and take us into that new age. And so may God help us to be people who are patient in age, and to persevere 
Jesus. 